continuing our scripture reading in the book of Ruth. We are at chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." And it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six uh, measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter for you today. This is the word of our God. Well, this morning we look into chapter 3 of Ruth. And as we do, we discover an interesting uh, play on words. And sometimes when you read scripture, uh, you can easily lose sight of these, uh, uh, these uh, kind of, uh, uh, of small things, but they're really big. And so I want to read for you again verse 1 and read verse 18 and see if you catch it. Uh, and then uh, we'll uh, just kind of bring it out a little bit. Verse 1 says... Uh, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Verse 18 
She replied, this is Naomi talking again, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man, speaking of Boaz, the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. There's an interesting play on words. It's as if these two verses form the proverbial uh, 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 chocolate part of the Oreo cookie, and in between are some delicious, creamy filling. What is the author saying? Naomi says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Uh, And then Naomi says, my daughter, uh, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. There is something to be said about rest in this passage. Uh, There's something uh, that is a significant need here that we don't realize at first There's a guy who isn't going to rest until Ruth gets some rest. That's what we find. If you summarize chapter 3 in one statement, I think you would say there is a restless redeemer who won't rest until some things happen. A restless redeemer who won't rest until some important things And necessary things happen, and that's what we discover here. What kind of rest does Ruth need? Uh, Ruth needs rest for a few reasons. Number one, Ruth needs rest because she is a widow. As a widow, Ruth has no way of caring for herself except what she happens to be doing now, which is gleaning in a field gleaning, getting the leftovers in the field, perhaps that could turn into a full-time gig. And so she could harvest in the field, but Ruth needs rest from worrying constantly if she's going to be able to pay the bills and to feed herself. She needs rest from that. Uh, She is a widow. Uh, Ruth is not only a widow, she is a Moabite widow, as Adrian pointed out last week. She's a stranger in a strange land. She has come under observation by the locals. Uh, We know uh, from reading in this chapter and later that they all knew about Ruth. And so Ruth uh, needs relational rest. She's lonely and alone. And she wonders uh, if she will ever have that life again of a husband. She's still able to bear children. She is still able to be a mom and to be a wife. Uh, She needs relational rest. She's void of the life that she had thought that she would have. And Naomi is concerned because Ruth came from Moab to Bethlehem for her. And Naomi voices her concern by saying, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? You need need a life different than this. 
you came back to take care of me and, and your undying devotion to me. And Naomi feels this significant sense of responsibility to Ruth. And so she devises a plan and we discover that plan in verses 2 through 5. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Winnowing barley was the process by which uh, you take the barley. It's usually on a rocky place so that you don't lose good grain in the dirt. You take the barley and throw it up in the air, and the breeze would blow through. And when the breeze blows through, the chaff, the useless part of the barley, is blown away, and what is left is good grain. And so it's harvest time. Uh, Ruth has most likely been working in the fields uh, two months now, maybe two and a half months she's been working hard in the fields if she's gone through wheat harvest and barley harvest. And so there she is working in the fields and uh, it's, it's harvest time and Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore, Naomi says, take a bath. All right, if you have middle school kids, you understand this. You tell them to bathe on more than one occasion. For some reason, they don't understand always the necessity of bathing. All right, and uh, in that culture, you didn't bathe every day. You bathed uh, maybe once a week. You didn't just bathe every day like you and I do. And so Naomi looks at her and says, take a bath. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on oils. It's most likely olive oil with some perfume in it. Put on oil, anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. The cloak is the outer coat, the, the garment. Uh, it would be cold at night. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth said, all that you say, I will do. Uh, this is a rather scandalous plan. It could end in a number of ways, most of which aren't good, right? This has the potential to be a total train wreck. But Naomi has a plan. And it is from the playing out of this plan that we learn three characteristics of the restless Redeemer. Uh, number one, the Redeemer is restless until he can offer refuge. The Redeemer is restless until he can offer refuge. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. He's just watching over the grain, making sure it isn't stolen. So he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. What startled him? I think it's a good case of cold feet. All right? 
His feet are cold. Uh, She uncovered his feet. Uh, They're most likely cold. And he feels the breeze, the nighttime breeze on his feet. Most likely it startles him. He rolls over like anyone would. And when he does, lo and behold, there's a woman lying at his feet. Uh, the, The ESV says, behold, it's in the original language, there's somebody there. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. But she did something interesting. We hear nothing in the instruction of Naomi about this. Perhaps Naomi gave her a script to work from. We don't know. But Ruth immediately changed the subject, uh, indicating to Boaz, it doesn't matter who I am. What matters is who you are. Notice what she says. She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What she is saying is, hey, who I am is rather insignificant. Who you are matters significantly. Why? He is a redeemer. That word in the Hebrew, we never do this, but it's good to learn this one. It's goel, G-O-E-L. And a Goel was a kinsman redeemer, and here's how Goels worked. Uh, A Goel could step in a family in a difficult situation. Let's say the family has come upon hard times and they lost all their land, and the Goel would step in and buy back the land for the family so that the family wouldn't lose it all. A kinsman redeemer, they were called. Let's say that the family got in a hard way and a member of the family was sold into slavery. The Goel could step in as the redeemer and buy that member of the family back out of slavery to live as a free person again. Boaz, as a relative was a redeemer, Ruth thought he was the redeemer, meaning the closest of kin. And it was the closest of kin's responsibility, a male who was the closest of kin, it was his job to to be the goel should the family need redemption. It it would be akin to to a big brother who's done well in life and Uh, stepping in because little sister hasn't done so well and has fallen on hard times and he's not going to let her be completely shamed by that. So he steps in and takes care of the situation. Uh, That was the job of the redeemer. And so Ruth says, matters little who I am, matters much who you are. You are a redeemer. And he said, and the, the suspense between verses 9 and 10 is palpable. Because there are so many things Boaz can now say. Who do you think you are? What are you doing lying here like this? What do you think this looks like? Do you know the appearance that you are given by uncovering my feet and lying in the middle of the night at my feet? Do you know what you're doing? 
None of those things are said. If you're a reader, reading the book of Ruth uh, in the day that it was written, your heart is racing wildly at this point until you read the next phrase. What does Boaz say? He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now remember, Ruth is at childbearing age. And Boaz says to her, a couple of things could have happened here. You could have married a rich man. You could have married for money. You could have married a poor man, young, both, being young. You could have married for love. You didn't either. You chose not to marry for money. You chose not to marry for love. You've done something here that is rather remarkable, he says. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Now, it's interesting that she asked him to cover her with his wings. All right? She says, um, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I wonder if that caused him to remember his conversation with her when he first saw her in the field. We find it in chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, back up to verse 11, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people you did not know before. He says, Ruth, I know your story. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says you're, you're under the wings of the Lord. He had no idea that it would be his very wings, did he? And she says, cover me with your wings. Now there's something interesting about this word wings. It has a double meaning. What's the double meaning of the word wings? It can also mean the hem of the garment. Cover me with the hem of your garment. Well, why? Any man in that day who decided to put his coat on another woman was, as they say in the Andy Griffith show, declaring for her. Right? He was saying, she's mine. We're not totally unfamiliar with that. Back in the 50s, Men, when they played sports, wore what? Letterman jackets. And when they got a girl, guess what they did with their letterman jacket? Well, they gave it to her. I found a picture this week. See her? She's wearing it proudly. You know what that means? Number eight is mine. That's what that means. She's wearing number eight's jacket. And everybody in high school knew who number eight was, Right? And so when she came out, when, 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 uh, when, when Jane comes out with uh, Joe's jacket on, everybody goes, Joe and Jane, they're an item, right? And so that's what Ruth is saying to Boaz. Uh, cover, me, uh, cover me with your wings. It could also mean cover me with the corner of your garment. She's proposing to him. 
This goes beyond any requirement of a goel. Goels were not required to marry anyone. They're required to pay money to redeem, not to marry. We discover from this the Redeemer is restless until he can offer refuge. Secondly, we discover the Redeemer is restless until he can offer reassurance. Check it out. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord. Verse 11, and now my daughter, do not fear. Why does he say do not fear? Because she's shaking in her shoes. He says, do not fear. This midnight conversation that's unfolding out on the threshing floor, uh, he said, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. We've heard your story. We know what you're made of. We know you're a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, he says. You're right. You nailed me. I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And at that point, her heart had to just drop. No. I have just proposed to this guy thinking he's the nearest redeemer and there's another one? Uh-oh. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. In other words, Ruth, rest. Quit worrying. I'll talk to him. And if he'll redeem you, good. But if not, I will. Do you know what we call that? Reassurance. The restless redeemer. Do you know what I think? I don't think Boaz slept that night. I really don't. I, I think Boaz must have lay awake all night. Ruth probably did too. But I think Boaz must have lay awake the rest of the night thinking, oh my. He's a single man. This woman has proposed to him. And it's a preposterous proposal. Why? Well, she's a woman proposing to a man. Right? She is. And women just don't usually do that. Not even today, right? It's a guy's job to pop the big question, right? And so she's a woman proposing to a man. Secondly, she is a Moabite proposing to an Israelite. Who would have thought that she would have the audacity as a Moabite to propose to an Israelite, uh, that's unbelievable. Third, she's a young woman proposing to an old man. Fourth, she's a poor woman proposing to a rich man. Uh, you know, in baseball, we stop at three strikes, and we're now at four. She's surely out. 
The restless Redeemer will not rest until he can offer you reassurance. He says, Naomi, lie down and rest. And if that guy doesn't have it, I've got you covered. Don't worry. If he won't redeem you, or Ruth, lie down and rest. If he won't redeem you, I'll redeem you. So what happens? The next morning before daylight, she lay at his feet, verse 14, until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Why does he say that? He's protecting her reputation and his Let it not be known that you came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And so she's got a sack. She's taken her garment, made a sack out of it. She's carrying barley. Why the barley? When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Do you know who I think didn't sleep all night either? Naomi, right? She's devised this plan that Ruth is carrying out. How will Boaz respond? These are three people who didn't rest all night. And guess what? They're seeking rest. And so she says, how did it go? How did it fare for you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So here's what I find interesting, and I'm going to figure something that you've been tracking just like me. When I read the book of Ruth, there's someone that I admire. And what is her name? Ruth. Right? We all sit here and go, give me the character of Ruth. Give me the tenacity of Ruth. Give me the commitment, God, of Ruth. Ruth is this phenomenal girl who leaves her home country to go with a bitter uh, mother-in-law to uh, another country. And when Naomi gets into this other country, Naomi looks at all the people and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For I left this way, this is the way I'm coming back. Who would want to come from Moab to Bethlehem with Mara? Nobody. Nobody wants to be around Amara except for a Redeemer. You see, the only way Ruth can be redeemed is because Boaz is related to Naomi, not Ruth. What's the point? Here's the point. There are people in your world that you don't think are very redeemable. They don't have too many redeeming qualities about them. And you, in your representation 
of the Redeemer might be tempted to write them off. The husband who cheated on you, the mother who physically abused you, the dad who ignored you, the daughter who disrespects you, the friend who stabbed you in the back, the co-worker who brown-nosed her way right past you, the kid at school who thinks you don't measure up. These people we don't find to be very redeemable. Why? Because the mistake that we have made all along in following the story of Ruth is to assume that Boaz might redeem her because she deserves it. She has four strikes against her. She does not deserve it. Oh, yes, we, we say, wow, what great qualities she has. But we discover from the barley that Boaz sent that home to Naomi. The third characteristic of the restless redeemer is that he will not rest until he is offered restoration. We find it in chapter 4. You remember when Naomi came into town and the women said, is that Naomi? They could not recognize her because life had dealt her such a bitter blow that she didn't appear to be the Naomi who had left maybe 10 or 12 or 14 years before. Uh, now, verse 14 of chapter 4, the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Who? Naomi, could I point something out to you that the author of the book of Ruth, even though Naomi said, call me Mara, never called her Mara after that? Read it. Never did he call her Mara. It's Naomi every time. Look at this. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you, Naomi, this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall to be to you, Naomi, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. You see, all through, as we've gone through now, I think this is... Sunday three or four, in the study of Ruth, we have been, yes, God's going after Ruth. Yes, we're redeeming Ruth. Yes, Ruth is going to be redeemed. And we've thought, oh, Naomi. When God, as the Redeemer, is going, yes, I'm going after Naomi. Yes, I'm going to redeem Naomi. Yes, I'm going to change her from bitter back to pleasant. 
That's how he works. He restores. And some of you are sitting here this morning, and you just say, but Jerry, I'm not worthy of restoration. Well, join the crowd. None of us is worthy of restoration. Amen? None of us. You say, but Jerry, if you only knew what I'd done, if you only knew where I'd been, if you only knew where I'd gone, if, if you could only see the list of the sins I committed, then you would say, I can't be restored. Tell that to the restless Redeemer. Try to convince him you're not worthy of hanging on a cross for. Try to convince him you're not worthy of his blood that flowed down the cross that day that would cover the vilest sinner and make him or her clean. The restless Redeemer will not rest until he has offered to you restoration. He loves you just like you are, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. We've had staff retreat this weekend, and we read a, a mind-changing book, a paradigmatic shifting book called The Unchurched Next Door. And so yesterday afternoon for staff retreat, we went door to door. We just went into a neighborhood and all of us as staff, we went door to door and we offered one thing, to pray for whoever came to the door. We, we decided we would just look at them and, and, and tell them we were from Grace Community Church and ask them if they had any prayer requests and if they wanted us to pray about those and we would pray for them. And so we were about 18 of us total and, or 16 of us and we divided into groups and I was in a group with Andrew and Danielle. And... Uh, we knock on a few doors, and then we get to this place, and it says, we knock on the door, then we realize there's a note that says, don't use the front door. Oh. So we think we've blown it now, and we hear this voice coming out of the, out of the uh, house, and it says, use the back door. So we're like, okay, we get that. So I was out at this point. And I said, Andrew, I think we should just go. And he said, Jerry, they heard us. Are you kidding? So we go around, and Andrew and Danielle and I go around, and, uh, and she comes out the back door. She's old, very old. Her hair hasn't been fixed in a long time. Deep wrinkles in her face. She stands, I think, maybe about 5'2", five 5'3". And Andrew introduces him. I'm making my way up by this point. Andrew introduces him and, and Danielle, and, uh, and she says, what you selling? And Andrew said, we're, we're just here to pray if you have a prayer request. Well, come on in, I reckon. So we go in and walk into the home of 
Margaret and Clifford. And we walk in, and she said, I'm moving. Uh, That's why everything's all spread out like this, she said. I said, how long have you lived here? 41 years. I thought, that has to be hard. Why are you moving? And then she just real crassly points to her husband, and she says, well, he's sick. Can't stay here anymore. We got to move. And so he's lying in a hospital bed. And uh, I said, well, well, what's wrong with him? And she said, he's got colon cancer. Found out this week or found out this month. Doesn't have long. It's all just short to the point. Everything's short to the point. And she's super standoffish. So she says, well, just grab your seat like that. We're like, yes, ma'am. And so we, we, we sit down and uh, we begin to talk. And Andrew notices a picture up on the wall. And he says, well, what is this picture? Graduated from PG High School. Are you in this picture? Yes, I am. Andrew said, would you show me you in this picture? Well, I looked a lot better then than I do now. She said, and she walked over, and she found it. Graduated, I think, in 1954 from PG High School. And he spoke up, and he said, she's doing great till she got me. He said, she said, he says that all the time. I said, how long have you been married? 47 years. They've been married. I said, wow, that's a... That's a long time. And so we talked a little bit more. Asked them if they needed help moving. No, they didn't, she said. They had a boy. He, go, he was going to help them. She, she never would sit. She just was over there. Clifford would talk to us some. And so I said, well, can we pray for Clifford? Yeah, I reckon. Oh, I asked. I said, are you a part of a church? No, we're not going to be. I mean, look at the shape he's in, she said. Like they couldn't get him to church, right? Like it's his fault they're not part of a church. And so, so we get around, and we're going to pray, and we do, and we pray uh, for, for, for Clifford. I think Danielle prayed, and we pray for Clifford and her. And I had... I said, you want to join us? And she came over, and I put my arm around her little frail body. And she put her arm around mine, and we prayed. And then I got way close to Clifford, and I said, Clifford, do you, are you ready to meet Jesus? And he started to tear up, and he said, oh, I am the tenderest voice. Oh, I am. I said, are you? He said, yes. He said, his blood has washed over me. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to meet him. And he said it with a labored voice. And Clifford was so tender. And he was so soft. And he was so sweet. There was a sweetness and tenderness about Clifford that was so contrasted to Margaret. Right? 
And so I said, Clifford, you're going to be in much better shape than the rest of us when you see him. You've got to understand when you see him, we're going to be so jealous of you and so envious of you when we're here and you're there and how great it's going to be with him. And Margaret just stood back, arms folded. And we got ready to go and we handed her a little piece of paper and I said, Margaret, should you ever need us, here's our phone number. We'll do whatever we can do. We'll help you move. We'll do whatever. And in the first sign of any breaking, she patted me on the back. She touched me and she said, okay. Okay. And we left. Uh, Here's why I tell their story. Does God want to redeem Margaret? Yeah. Yeah. Just like he wanted to redeem Naomi. So here's how we're ending today. I'm guessing that in your circle, you know, a Mara, a Naomi. And I'm guessing what I'm about to ask you to do might be the last thing on your mind. Next Sunday, I will preach an evangelistic message to Maras, to people that you don't think have some very redemptive qualities. And I would appreciate if you bring them. If this week you would invite that person No bait and switch. Look at him straight up and say, my pastor is going to be preaching. And I prayed for you, and you need Jesus. And I, more than anything, want you to hear what he has to say next week. And bring that person with you. If it's more convenient for them to come at 11... Say, I'll meet you at 11. And next week, let's see what the restless Redeemer does in their world. Let's pray.